Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. Good evening to you again. If we haven't had the chance to meet, I'm Robbie Itterberg. I'm one of the pastors. And as we're moving into message this evening, I actually want to tell you a story that a friend of mine told me, and it may sound familiar to someone, but a friend of mine told me about the first day their child went to kindergarten. And they were so excited. The kid was, wanted to go to kindergarten. And the parent was so terrified. Does that sound familiar? Been there. I remember that first day. And it was awful seeing that bus drive away. Well, my friend, friend was encouraging their, their child, their daughter, to get on that bus. And finally, they did get on the bus and got settled. And my friend decided that she was going to follow the bus to school. And she was going to make sure that that bus driver was going to get her child there safely. Because, I mean, it's her child. And so following the bus all the way to school, of course, the bus gets there just fine eventually. And the child gets off and she just sits there in the parking lot watching as the child goes inside, making sure that nobody looks at their, her daughter sideways or treats her sideways because she's there. She's going to get out if it becomes a thing. Fortunately, her daughter gets inside and she decides, you know what, I'm just going to wait. I'm here. And she waits the day out, and her daughter comes out from school, gets back on the bus, and she's following that bus home, because who knows who this bus driver is and where they got their driving experience. And so realizes, needs to get there before her daughter does, so takes this route, goes around, gets home, jumps out, runs to the bus stop, then casually acting cool like she hasn't been following all day long, waiting for her daughter to get off the bus. And they have this conversation about how was this day at school. And it was a great day at school, you know, told about what they did, and, you know, it's fantastic. I mean, how bad can kindergarten be, right? And then mom asks, well, are you ready to go back tomorrow? I got to go back tomorrow? <laughs> I got to go back tomorrow? Like, she, she thought she was done. Like, I did school. Check. It's over. And, you know, we've been in this sermon series, Go and Serve Together, for a little while now. And we've got groups that are going and actually serving all over our community, and it is a beautiful thing. People are being blessed. I'm hearing some of the stories. And here's our temptation when we get to this point. Check. I did it. I served. It's over. Whew. We made it. And we're going to talk about, so what do we do from here? Where do we go now? What happens next? What does this mean for serving after today? If you haven't been with us, we've been in this series for a number of weeks now, and this series comes to us primarily out of John chapter 20, verse 21, where Jesus has his disciples, and he is talking with them, and he tells them, as the Father has sent me, so also I am sending you. So as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. We've been sent to proclaim forgiveness and salvation in Jesus' name. 
We've been sent in order to bring tangible healing to all the places that sin has broken throughout the world. We've been sent to strive to bring life into alignment and underneath the reign of the king of the universe, King Jesus. And so we're sent and we go. And as we serve, that's part of that mission that God has been on. And so today we're going to talk about what do we do when our project is done? Where do we go next? How does this go and serve continue or does it continue after this series is done? And so we're going to jump into Colossians chapter 3. If you'd like, you can follow along on the screen. But listen as God speaks his word to each and every one of us this evening. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. And let's pray as we move into God's word together. Heavenly Father, we are, are grateful for the time, the space, and the freedom to worship you publicly, to enjoy your presence among us, to hear as you would speak and as you would lead us. Father, by your spirit, will you guide the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts. May they be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen. So I don't know if you have a life verse. You know, I have a, a verse that I come back to over and over and over again. You could easily make a life verse out of chapter 3, verse 17 that we read today where Paul says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's such a beautiful and powerful verse. You could organize really all of your life around it. And so as we think about this particular verse, what does it mean to do something in the name of the Lord Jesus, to do anything? What does it mean to do something in the name of someone else? You know, when we do something in the name of someone else, it means we're doing it in a way that represents them 
or that really that has their authority from behind it. So ambassadors are sent out in the name of the nation that they are representing. We can hear in maybe old old time movies where police officers would shout, stop in the name of the law, right? They're shouting that on the basis not of their own authority, but on the authority that the law gives them. And the name of the law is the authority of the law. That's why they speak. That's why they act. And so it's to do something with the authority of someone else. To do something in the name of someone is also to do something on behalf of or for the sake of someone else. So you can think about, like, you could make a dinner reservation in the name of Abe Froman, for instance. Few of you will understand that reference. That's okay. I appreciate that. That's the sausage king of Chicago. If you watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off, okay. But you make a dinner reservation in the name of someone on their behalf for their sake. They will benefit from the thing that you've done in their name. Okay, and so when we start thinking about this, we do something in the name of the Lord Jesus. We're doing things with his authority, representing him, and in ways that will ultimately benefit him and be for him. Now, that's kind of a weird thing to say. Like, how can we do anything that would benefit Jesus? That's kind of weird. I mean, he's Jesus, and we're just not. And so how could we do anything of value for him. Well, the answer is, as we do things in his name, in his, with his authority, for his benefit, he will receive the honor and the glory, the respect, the affection, the trust, the loyalty, the obedience that he's due. You know, Jesus said, let everybody see your good works, that they will, what, give you lots of praise and pats on the back and make you feel good about yourself? No, do, do your good deeds so that everyone can see, so that they will give glory to the Father. In the same way, this is whatever we do in the name of Jesus, do it in such a way that others will say, wow, Jesus is amazing. They'll give him the glory, the honor, and the respect. And so what is Paul specifically getting at here? What are we supposed to do in the name of our Lord Jesus? Whatever you do whether in word or deed. So, so that, that kind of covers it. Whatever you do. <laughs> and as we start to think about this, yes, it is all-encompassing. Yes, that is on purpose. When we start thinking about that in the context of this series, as we've been talking about going and serving together, what it means is that go and serve is not just a project. It's not just a one-time thing that we say, okay, I did it, and now we move on. It's not something we graduate from. It's not something we move beyond. It really is, go and serve is a lifestyle. (laughs) And actually, even that is probably not the greatest word for it. That might be a little too weak, because lifestyles can come and they can go. Go and serve is really a way of living as a follower of Jesus. Go and serve is integral to whatever it is that we would do. And so it's about life. It's about living as a follower of Jesus. Representing him with his authority in a way that will benefit him, will give him the honor and the respect that he's due. So now, where do we need to go then in this idea of go and serve as a lifestyle? Where do we go? 
Well, if we just take Paul's passage that we just read as kind of a good starting place, the answer is not very far. Sometimes we think about serving in like these grandiose terms. And we think about those who live a life of service are like those really strange people who are missionaries and pastors. You know, maybe a few other, you know, particular types of professions. And the the reason we usually lift those ones up is because I don't want to do that. Whatever that is. Believe me, I I lift up a whole lot of folks and yeah, look at their service because there's a lot of things I don't want to do. But Paul, though, doesn't begin with that. He could have pointed to himself and say, hey, yeah, do it like me. He's writing this letter from prison because he's been traveling out and about on many missionary journeys in and out of cities and towns among Gentiles and Jews. He's gone near and far in the known world. He could have easily said, yeah, so do it like me. But instead, immediately after giving the command to whatever we do, whether word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, what does he talk about next? Home. He talks about home. He goes to the nearest relationships. He, He goes and says, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, do not embitter your children. In other words, the very first place to live out the reality of go and serve is right in your own home. Right in my home. And I just, so that you don't get stuck and and don't continue to try to at least stay with me here. I just want to take a moment and address the word submission because I just can already hear, like, I can hear it churning in the room, right? Not, not a real favorite for many folks. And so, and the reason is because this has been inappropriately used at various times throughout history. And actually in ways that don't even reflect the reality of the word itself, The problem is, much of the time when we hear the word submission, our brains automatically hear oppression. And see, oppression is something that happens to you. Submission is something you give, something voluntarily offered. So I can either submit to you or you can force me to do what you want to do. One is submission, one is oppression. And and Paul is saying, well, I've submit to your husbands. He doesn't just say that, you know, out of this, no matter what's happening to you under all circumstances, because, man, that's also been taken to such ridiculous extremes. He's keeping it right in the context of immediately then saying, husbands, love your wives. Now, what's the definition of love? Throughout scripture, you can go back over and over again. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So husbands, lay down your lives for your wives. (laughs) And I think it would make submission a lot easier. And so in in the midst of this idea of going and serving is integral the family unit, the immediate relationships in your life. That this is the first field that this idea plays out on. So, So that means where do you need to go? Well, you need to get up in the morning and you just need to go down the hall or down the stairs 
right? And, and if you live alone, you can, that's okay. We can, we can continue. You have a family unit. Perhaps you have a biological family. Maybe you don't. You've got a church family unit. This would apply to the immediate f- uh, friends in your life because as a, as a follower of Jesus, you've been adopted into a family now, right? So it's those that we're closest with are those who we're supposed to serve first. <laughs> Why is that so hard? Why is that so difficult? Because I, I got to tell you, it's, it's hard for me. And so maybe, it's just, maybe I'll just stand, it, it's more, maybe I just need to you know, bring up a couch for myself and do some work here. Because <laughs> maybe this is easy for you. You know, at home, there's a familiarity, <laughs> right? Isn't there? At home, it, it's a good thing that you can let your hair down. Because we need safe places And our our homes are supposed to be that. Actually, for you, part of the reason maybe serving at home is so difficult is because it's not a safe place. And it wasn't a safe place maybe before. Maybe it's safe now, but because of the past, it's hard to even know it's safe today. Maybe it's hard because we're exhausted when we get home. And we've poured it out as we've gone out. And so when we get home, there's not a whole lot left to give to those that we're closest with. I think there's probably other reasons. You have your own reasons. And yet, to miss this is to miss a core part of our calling as followers of Jesus. Whatever you do, as a wife, as a husband, as a child, as a parent, as a friend, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, to represent him. How might that change the dynamics in your family system? If you began to approach those relationships as a representative of Jesus, with his authority, trying to help them be able to, the folks in your family system, be able to also appreciate and honor and trust and give the glory to Jesus? What if that was the goal when we got up in the morning? Not just, hey, let's get out the door. Man, we're going to be late again. You know, this doesn't happen in your homes, but... (laughs) But what if I could get up, what if I could get up each morning and say, man, how can I be... A dad to the glory of God today. And how can I help the people in my home give honor and glory to Jesus today? See, we don't have to go and serve very, you don't have to go very far to serve. And, and Paul doesn't stop there. He goes to the next immediate. <laughs> he, again, could go to the missionary field. Nope, he goes to where? Well, he talks about slaves next, doesn't he? Now, of course, this is one of the many passages over the history of the church that's been used to justify slavery. See, slaves, obey your masters. And when just this passage is taken out of context, it misses the entire trajectory of what God was doing through Jesus and what even Paul is doing as he then writes his letter later to Philemon on behalf of a slave that he was trying to free. Because he believed, he actually believed that the trajectory was freedom, not slavery. So that's a whole other message, and we can, if you've got questions, let's talk about it later. But it is interesting 
If he can say to slaves at this time, even though he believes that it's an unjust practice, to work for your masters as if you're working for the Lord, then maybe there is at least a principle that we could glean from. You know, because he says, I mean, it's kind of funny, right? He, He actually tells the slaves, hey, don't work just when your boss is, is watching, right? Don't just work when your master's eyes are on you, you know, and then go back to, you know, twiddling your thumbs, putting your feet up, whatever it is. Work as if God is watching you the whole time, right? When we start to think about, huh, well, if I think about myself, do I work that way? Is that the way I apply myself? Do you work as if, oh, Jesus is always watching so that he can be honored by what we do with the excellence that we strive for, with the quality of the work that we do, whatever it is. It can be grand, it can be, it, it can be small, it can be anything in between. Right? But do we work as if our boss is always watching? Because who's our real boss? Do I, do I want the pat on the back from somebody here? Do I want the pat on the back of an earthly boss? Do I want the pat on the back of, of someone? Or, or is God really the one that I would be serving even as I work? And when we think about the, the mission that God is on, as a part of this go and serve, this mission that God is on to restore what? What is he restoring? He's restoring all things, right? Everything that sin has broken, every sphere of life, which that means work too. Right? And, and the reality is work is a good thing. You know that? I, I, that's hard for, you know, I hear the, mm, yeah, right. <laughs> How about this? Work was created good and has become a problem. Work was created good. There was work before sin. Back in the Garden of Eden, when God first made everything, it was a beautiful paradise. He sets Adam in the middle of it, and he says, hey, here it is. Now go and work it. Till it. You got work to do. Yeah, but it's paradise. Right. You have meaning and purpose because you have work to do. And when Jesus comes again and he restores all things, what we see at that point is work continues. And yet... The beauty is work will continue at that point without all the angst and the toil of sin. That we won't be using work as a way to build ourselves up and when it gets taken from us, it tears us apart. We won't be using, we won't be forced into work that is inhumane, inappropriate, unjust. We won't be forced into situations where we can no longer fully ethically carry out the work that we've been given to do, right? We'll have this new opportunity to do everything with joy and with dignity, do it to the glory of God as if we get to give him this beautiful offering, right? It's, we'll be working. And every, everything that we do will be this thing to honor God. It's like, it's like every time my kids make a drawing or, a, you know, color a picture or a painting, Everett loves it right now. He'll sit up there and he'll get all the paints out and you know, take the brush and he'll get you know, as much paint as he possibly can on that brush and just start slathering it. And then he'll take the same brush and dip it into another color and he'll slather it all over. And then he's like, here, I made you a picture. Wow, what is it? <laughs> it's always the best question to ask, not, not to assume. It's hard when they ask, well, what do you think it is? 
think it's a beautiful painting that you gave me. Right? And, it, and it's a delight. He worked to give me something that brought me joy. Our work will bring God joy. It will please him. So, so Jesus is going to restore all work. So if work mattered in the beginning and work will matter at the end, what do we think about the in-between where we live? What do you think about today? It matters, doesn't it? All work matters. Even if your work right now is training for the work that God's going to give you to do later. In other words, even if you're in school. School matters. But work matters if you're a teacher, if you're an investor, if you're in healthcare, if you're an entrepreneur. Work matters if you're digging ditches. Work matters... If you're a caregiver, work matters. And guess what? All of work matters the same. Assuming that, I'm going to pause, assuming it's not directly violating God's principles and, and ethics. We could have lots of conversations about that. But all other work is a way and an opportunity to do work in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that can give him the glory and the honor and be his delight. And there's no divide. There's no better work and worse work in that regard. There's no more important work. Frequently, you know, I hear things because I'm a pastor, like, oh yeah, I mean, that's, you've got a real calling on your life. Well, I do. And I'm grateful for that. But so do you. See, we, we all have a calling. And it may or may not have anything to do with the particularities of what you do for your career. Our calling is to do all that we do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we bring him glory and honor and so that other people will come to see him and know him. And sometimes it's easier and better to do that not as a pastor. Do you know that? Because sometimes people hear pastor and they're like, shut down, see ya. And the other thing is, I only get to spend so much time with so many people. When you go to work, you get to rub elbows and shoulders with all sorts of people that I don't likely get to run into that same day, unless it's at a grocery store or a, you know, a soccer field or a cheerleading competition. But you spend hours and hours and hours with these people. So you have a unique and beautiful opportunity. It's part of why Martin Luther, the great reformer, was really clear about saying there is not any better work. He insisted, I was reading an article by a guy named Dan Doriani this week where he was, he was reflecting on Martin Luther's you know, thoughts on work. And Luther, he says, insisted that the farmer shoveling manure and the maid milking her cow please God as much as the minister preaching or praying. Do you believe it? That your work day in and day out honors God as much as preaching and praying. At least it can. Because it can be done in the name of the Lord Jesus with his authority, right? pointing to him so that others will see and know and give him the honor and the glory that he's due. And then it's through our work, Luther believed, that God actually provides all that people need. 
right? That the fact that we have food, God provided that. Well, how did he provide that? Did God slap a steak on your plate tonight? No, probably not. I mean, if he did, that's cool. Tell me about it. Let's hear the story. More likely, God utilized the farmers right, who nurtured the cow, who ultimately became a steak that was then also processed and delivered and then shelved. And then, right, there's a whole line of people involved in providing your meal and my meal. And every one of those people is a part of the provision of God in your life. And your work is a part of the way God would provide for someone else in their life. Which means that if your work is outside the home, then you can see how it fits into this. How is God answering somebody else's need through what you do? Or if you're in the home, guess what? It's the same. Because your work is vital to providing all that God intends for your family. And so... All work, all relationships are the opportunity to continue to go and serve in addition to looking for the calling and the leading of the Holy Spirit. I hope one of the things you've taken out of these weeks together is the Holy Spirit might surprise you in where he would lead you to go and serve and the ways that he would have you do that. All of this is the opportunity, but, but we might just feel overwhelmed by that idea. Like, you know, it was a little easier when I could just think of it as a project I could do because this feels heavy. You know, everything I'm doing all the time, all these places, well, sure. But if we receive it as this load that we have to carry that somehow if we don't do it, then we're somehow a bad follower of Jesus, which is basically how we receive most of his commands then we are going to be exhausted and overwhelmed and wish it was just a project. Right? We, we can receive these commands as a weight and a burden, and actually we can receive them as a new law, like, okay, do this or else. Go and serve always, everywhere, all the time, or else God won't love you is basically how we'll internalize that if we're not careful which is, I believe, why Paul has so grounded this entire section. The very beginning of what we read said this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and let the message of Christ dwell among you richly because the gospel will transform our entire approach to how we go and serve. The gospel will, will change our entire approach to our family relationships. The gospel will change our entire approach to our work. Because in the gospel, we are told that you don't have to be a perfect parent. You don't have to be a perfect child. You don't have to be a perfect worker. You don't have to be a perfect anything. The reality is, I'm not perfect, and that's why Jesus came, so that he could take my imperfection and my sin and my brokenness, and he could then, in its place, give me his perfection, his endurance, his joy, his hope, his love, so that when I go and serve, wherever it is, I might be tapped out, but he's got more love to give me so that I can give you something. That's the peace of Christ, that it's no longer up to you to do it perfectly. But that you can have peace knowing that you are loved by God so thoroughly. That you can go and serve in your schools. You can go and serve in your workplace. You can do it to the glory of God the best you possibly can. 
to give him the honor, to point other people to him. It's also the gospel is what brings humility in the home. And I, can, I confess I'm not always good. I'm not always good at it. Apologies are hard, aren't they? Especially in the home. But the gospel reminds me of my sinfulness and reminds me that, okay, I'm also loved. So I can apologize. And we can seek reconciliation. We can encourage one another. We can continue to serve each other. It lets us go and serve anywhere and everywhere without this burden of having to be perfect. And so then we can remember another one of Martin Luther's lines that I read in another article this week. Martin Luther says, God doesn't need our good works. Our neighbors do. So we can go and serve in the name of the Lord Jesus for their sake, for his sake, that he'll receive the glory and the honor every day. Friends, I, we have an opportunity tonight uh, to hear from, uh, from a, a fellow follower of Jesus, to share a little bit uh, of his perspective on serving. Um, so I'm going to invite Chris Schneff is with us, and he's from one of our mission partners, Urban Promise Honduras. And so we can, well, it's okay, you can welcome him. It's allowed. And Chris is, just happens to be able to be in town, and so thought it would be a great opportunity for us to get to know him a little bit more, the ministry of Urban Promise, but also to continue to reflect on serving. Uh, and so, you know, I just had, have some questions, want to ask him and let you all kind of listen into our conversation. And so, Chris, thanks for being here. And so the first question I have is this, is that Schneff is spelled S-C-H-N-E-P-F. And got it. so... What's the heritage and how often do you have to spell it for people? Every time. Every time. <laughs> German. German. Okay. Yep. It's German. My poor, my poor wife has just acquired <laughs> my last name this year and she's still getting used go. to it too. Right on. Well, I know you grew up in Vermont and weren't really a, a part of a church very actively until high school. I think that's right. And um, but you had some wonderful people come along in your life that really helped you learn about serving. And so, you know, who, just share a little bit. Who, who impacted you? Who, who taught you about serving? Sure thing. Yeah, yeah. thanks, Ravi. Um, so looking back at high school was a really transformative time for me. Um, it was when I first came into my faith and um, had a lot of mentors from my youth group who poured into me. Um, a lot of them were dads of friends of mine from, from that youth group. Um, one in particular, uh, his name is uh, Dr. John Spicer. Um, to this day, I keep in touch with him. Um, his son was the best man at my wedding uh, this spring. Um, but Dr. Spicer uh, was somebody that I really looked up to. He was um, a family physician. Uh, he gave a lot of his time into pouring into our youth group, um, having us over at his house all the time, um, and just really made relationship um, with us a, a priority, and sh I think for me showed me what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, yeah, first and foremost. Um, and from that, I saw his life of service um, as a doctor, serving with kids in youth group, 
Um, I went on my first overseas mission experience with him to Honduras. Um, and so just his life was an example to me, um, but he did it very much in the context of, of pouring into relationships. Um, and then I'd say two, uh, two other mentors that, that come to my mind after high school. Um, one was in college. Um, Dr. Stoll was one of my professors. She taught one of my toughest courses. I was a biology education major. Uh, she taught my uh, cell and molecular biology class. Uh, so she knew all the inner workings of the cell. Um, but she was somebody who um, poured out compassion and love that was 100% Jesus. Um, into her students. Um, she had a small group of science majors who she had over to her house every week. Um, she was someone who had been through a lot of adversity herself. Um, she was in a wheelchair because she was shot in, uh, in college and was paralyzed. Um, but she would take our small group to the hospital and we'd hand out yeah. sandwiches to people in waiting rooms um, at some of our small group weeks. Um, and then after college, a mentor of mine and who became a really close friend, uh, Blair Quinius, who started Urban Promise, in Honduras, he modeled for me what it means to step out in faith, um, that you can, do, you can take a vision that God has to see transformation and make it a reality. Mm. Nice. So Dr. Spicer, Dr. Stolen Blair Love it. are three people that stick with me today. Very, very different walks of life, each serving in the name of the Lord Jesus, that's for sure. So, so thinking about that time, I know that your period in college was really formative for you as a person and also, I think, setting the trajectory of, of where your life was going to go. Um, and so what, what did you learn about serving? I heard about the, the one professor, but what else did you, you learn about serving during your time in college? Yeah, um, not growing up in a Christian home, I was super excited to be around a bunch of other Christians um, and, and go deeper in my faith. Um, I went to Asbury University in Kentucky, and um, I learned a lot of what community looks like, um, going deep into community. Um, the guys on my hall became brothers to me. Um, the, the student body itself just really formed deep intentional community that I would say sought the Lord together. Um, and through that, um, I had opportunities to serve with, um, with other college groups. We served a youth group in downtown Lexington and with low-income families. Um, several Asbury students would join me uh, in summer times, and we served at um, a summer camp up in Vermont uh, near my house. Um, and so I'd say that sense of community became something really important to me in that time, um, that it, serving uh, and even just just walking with Christ became much deeper um, when you do it together yeah. with other believers in the body of Christ. Yeah. I love that. That's part of what we've emphasized in this series, go and serve together, that we're not just on an island having to figure this out on our own. And it is potent when we do it together. So yeah, thanks. So you said you went to study bio biological education. Is that right? And so, so what drew you to that? What were you, what were you thinking would come out of that? Well, I was a nerdy kid, um, <laughs> and I, I still am nerdy. Uh, I love science, but I um, also just that time in high school, because that was where my faith journey started, and there were so many people who poured into me, and then even just seeing people like Dr. Stoll, who had a role as a, as a teacher, they took on these roles of mentors, and I think they were the ones who inspired me to want to be that for young people as well. Um, and I just saw being in a classroom as a place where you get to spend lots of time with students. 
Um, and so for me, really going into teaching um, was a way to use something that I, that I love and get excited about and kind of nerd out about, um, but also has a, you know, a lot of help, helpful application, kind of sure. on like health, health size and having spent, um, done those mission trips to Honduras, saw application for um, teaching health practices and things like that. Um, but ultimately, I just wanted to be able to be around high school kids so I could um, kind of do some of the same things that Dr. Spicer and Dr. Stoll had done for me. Yeah, nice. And that, that was a really natural transition then to what you're doing now, or at least got, was the bridge to where you are today. So you know, tell us about where, how you're serving now, what that looks like, and whatever else you want to share around Urban Promise. Yeah, so uh, a couple years into teaching, uh, I met Blair Quinius, the friend um, who had started Urban Promise in Honduras. I was teaching at a bilingual school down there, and Urban Promise just seemed to embody all of those reasons for why I went into teaching. Um, and they also had this community <laughs> that was yeah. very tight um, with each other. Um, they went deep with the Lord. Um, and I was like, heck yeah, I want to <laughs> jump yeah. in with that. And so um, for the last about 10 years, um, I've served with Urban Promise um, in different sites in Honduras, um, in Camden, uh, here in New Jersey, um, in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I started as a program director, bringing kids out camping and hiking and biking and backpacking, um, getting to see, take them on these transformative experiences um, in God's creation, um, invest those relational relational time in with them. Um, now I serve more kind of in a coaching role for our Latin American ministries, um, working with other leaders who have a vision for children and youth ministry back in their communities across Latin America. Um, so I help with coaching and leading a fellowship program that equips them to go out and kind of do some of these same things that, that Urban Promise does, because um, we also have after-school camps that serve kids K through, K through sixth grade. Um, it's been a really beautiful thing, and uh, so I do kind of that coaching side, but also my wife and I together, um, in that, we're based in Nashville, and um, we work with Urban Promise there, uh, kind of doing that same outdoor program, um, taking uh, refugee, uh, refugee students, we work with a lot of refugee community and immigrant families um, in Nashville, uh, doing the same thing, taking them outdoors, um, and kind of, um, for a lot of them, redeeming what, what sleeping in a tent is for them and, and getting to see some transformation um, through, through redeeming those past experiences. Wow. Yeah. So you and Kaylee are doing that together and you got married in April? April, yeah. April, okay. April 16th. So, so then what has being married taught you about serving? Because you've had lots of other things that have taught you about serving, but what's being, being married for all of this, this time in your wealth of experience? Yeah. So, um, so Kaylee is also very passionate about um, loving on people and um, working with young people, um, the outdoors. We met around a campfire uh, in a friend's backyard. Um, and so, um, you know, it was a natural fit for us to come together and be able to do that kind of service together. And so when we went on our first trip that we led together, we had our biggest argument and fight. <laughs> And so uh, we, <laughs> that was when I realized, okay, there's a lot to learn. <laughs> and so we, we, that was this summer, and since then, we've been able to lead a few more trips um, together. Uh, the fights have come earlier and earlier, and we've been able to resolve them quicker and quicker. <laughs> and um, I think I had kind of um, it was a, we were talking about this in the car on the ride over. 
but on the last trip that we led together, we went to the Smoky Mountains where Kaylee grew up um, and just had a beautiful fall um, trip bringing these kids. And we had a really deep, um, deep moments with kids who just right out, straight up asked us, what does it mean to follow God on a deeper level? Um, but right before that, we were at the cusp of kind of me getting really frustrated again at, at getting ready to leave. And I, I was thinking about the long list of things we had to do to get ready. Like, we have to have all these things ready to go. And, and Kaylee just looked at me and said, I just, I just want to feel connected to you when we go on and do this together. And, and I realized in that moment that it's far more important for us to love each other, um, as you were talking about, and start in the home. Um, I mean, our goal, and we have talked about this even on, on our own, is our, our goal is to, that our marriage would reflect um, the love of Christ for the church. And um, I know that that can't be done in our own flesh or strength. Um, and uh, that's, our, that's our goal now. So Chris is going to be around afterwards. I'd still encourage you. So will Kaylee, I'm assuming, after this still? Okay. Um, so they'll be out in the Welcome Center, and you can talk with them more about you know, what they're up to with Urban Promise and uh, just get that perspective on what God's doing as they try to serve you know, every, in every whole lot of different ways uh, in, in their life. And so you know, thanks for, for sharing that with us uh, this evening. And so we're gonna we're gonna take a moment and pray for for them and for the Urban Promise ministry. And but I just even before we do that, there's one other example, another just trying to put visual examples for us of serving in everyday life. And so one other example that is uh, in the room and that we're acknowledging as a nation this weekend, it's Veterans Day. And so want to take that moment to also acknowledge those veterans that ha have served, because uh, that was certainly uh, a sacrifice. And so if you are a veteran of any of our branches of military, would you, will you please stand? I know many of you are not like into standing up, but we would love to be able to say thank you. So, thank you. Thank you for that service and the way that that's another uh, way that you point us toward the Lord who is our ultimate protector and provider. And so thank you for that. Will you, will you join me now together in prayer? Oh, Lord God, we thank you so much. We thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness, your love. We thank you for your power that you are truly the almighty, that you are the rock, you are the fortress. Lord God, we thank you that you have plans and you have purposes for each and every one of us. Lord, I thank you for the veterans that, that said yes when they were, they were called to serve. Thank you for their willingness to make that commitment, for their, their courage. Thank you for how you used them uh, to provide for the needs of so many, to provide protection and security. Thank you for the sacrifice that many of them made. We thank you for uh, their, their willingness. We recognize that so many veterans are still struggling with the atrocities that they experienced, that they, that they witnessed. And so we pray for your healing to be on so many of them, those who are struggling with the effects of, of PTSD, those who are struggling with physical effects from their years of service, 
identifiable and unidentifiable causes. We pray for those who struggle emotionally and mentally and spiritually as a result of their service. Father, may you meet them in the middle of that and give healing. Lord, we thank you for the families of veterans that also sacrificed along with them in their service. May you bless them as well. For those who are still active, we pray for your protection, that you would guide them, that they would be agents of your peace in the world, of your justice. We ask that you'd bring them back to their family and their friends. Well, we thank you for Chris uh, and for his willingness to be here, for, uh, for his story that he shared, that we can see your faithfulness and your hand on his life, that, that he can tell the story and it gives you the honor and the glory. We thank you for those folks that came alongside him, that showed him what it looked like to follow you, to love you, to serve day in and day out through their various professions, through their intentionality of moving toward him as a student, for the, the willingness of others to move toward others intentionally, to serve and sacrifice. Lord God, thank you for how that has shaped him and formed him. Thank you for leading him to the work and the ministry of Urban Promise. God, thank you for so many lives changed, so many young people that were without hope and, dis, and in despair that, that that's been transformed by you. Lord God, may you continue to use him as he leads leaders that you would continue to raise up new leadership that can pour into the next generations of, of refugees and young, young people, students and youth and children in Honduras and, and throughout, throughout the globe where Urban Promise is doing that work. God, we, we thank you. We thank you that you have called each of us into service in all of these different places across your creation that, Lord, we trust that you ultimately are going to bring restoration and healing to all things. And so we can also then give to you our concerns and our burdens with a confidence that you are able to do more than we can ask, think, or imagine. It's in the name of Jesus that we trust and that we pray all these things.